Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I am your director of fun and games for the evening. Uh, we have a good show for you tonight. I am going to talk about how we need more fighting, goddammit. And uh, Charlie's going to tell me while I'm wrong. Steph is going to play both sides of it. We do not have Kelly tonight. Let me introduce you to the rest of the panel. However, first and foremost, I already said her name, my broadcast partner in crime, Steph Licious D, Steph Driver. I am not Stephanie both sides men. <laughs> yeah, Steph very However, clearly takes sides. I very clearly You're take both sides, sides person. <laughs> I for one really really need for all of the members of the Flyers to stop getting hurt every time they take a hit. Like Someone needs to do better, and I don't know whether it's the refs or the opposing teams or the Flyers themselves, but stop getting hurt. They need to do steroids, is what I think. Mm. Well, I think I know where your take is going to go with this, and it's going to be the bring back the goons, and that is not a solution. Might be. You only not have, there's only one way to find out, Steph. There's only one way to find out. That just leads to more people getting hurt, and I don't want anybody to get hurt anymore. I want other people to get hurt, just well, not the Flyers. I'm not particularly opposed to that. <laughs> From theathletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So I saw something interesting in Saturday night's game, and like my first instinct was to get really mad. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not saying I liked it, but the more I thought about it, the more it made a little bit more sense. And it was specifically the last few minutes of regulation in that game. They obviously played Colorado. After kind of an eh first period, they sort of rolled the final 40 minutes that, you know, had a couple pucks go in off of bad bounces. But aside from that, they were clearly the dominant team for the final two periods. But around like the, you know, three, four minutes left in the game, the Flyers really obviously started to sit back and just kind of play, play a shell. And it was very obvious, at least to me watching that they were, you know, playing for overtime and playing for that point. And, you know, my general philosophy is, go for the win, you know, go for the win, be aggressive, try to get as many points as possible. But I took a step back and I thought, you know, Colorado is a Western conference team. And the main reason why you don't want to just play for overtime is because you don't want to give the other team that extra point, but like probably doesn't matter that much if Colorado gets that extra point. Now at the same time, the Flyers were rolling and they ended up losing the game in a shootout anyway. So 
in retrospect, they probably should have pushed for that regulation win. But, you know, if you're playing against a Western Conference team, maybe it does make sense for you to kind of let your foot off the gas, stop taking as many risks in the late stages of a game to make sure you get at least one point when you know that the other team getting the the one point isn't going to hurt you as if, like, let's say they were playing Ottawa. Like, you don't want Ottawa getting that extra point because in the end of the season, you might be battling for a playoff spot with them. But Colorado, you don't have to worry about that. So it was just something there where I immediately got angry and then took a step back and thought, maybe I shouldn't have been as angry. Maybe there's actually some some logic to this craziness. I I appreciate the anger reaction and then taking a step back and thinking (laughs) about it. That's that's how I tend to run my life. Never take a step back. Lean in even harder. That's what I always say. I mean, I am not one (laughs) to try to monitor and manage the feelings of others. If you want to be mad about something, be mad about something. Like, that's fine. I am But I think for... that it's it's very true to Charlie form to then think about it logically. I am all for playing for the point just because I want to see three on three. That's I hope every team just starts doing that. Uh, tie up the game, last five minutes, kill the clock, let's get to three on three where the real hockey starts. I love three on three. But, uh... The uh, really the extra session is always fun. What hasn't been so fun for the Flyers uh, to this point, guys, is the first period. We talked about their first period woes on the show last week. But in the three games they've played since our last show, they've only allowed one goal in the first periods, but they haven't scored any. They only have nine first period goals through 15 games, which is the fourth fewest in the league. What can be done to make them more dangerous to start games? Because I think I have an answer, and I want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, I don't know, because this has been... We did talk about this last week. This has been historically a problem, um, and it's more specifically a hackstall problem than with the two previous coaches, although it was also a problem with the two previous coaches. Um. I don't have an answer. I, I don't I don't know what they could be doing differently, but something has to be done differently. Yeah, it's one of those weird questions because it seems like, you know, especially last year, it felt like there was always a different problem. Like either they were playing well, but they couldn't score or they would play poorly and they would actually end up leading after the first period, even though they were playing poorly because they had like one good chance and it went in. This year, to me, it seems like the main problem in the first period has been passing. Like, they, a lot of times, the first 20 minutes of a game, they just can't seem to complete a pass, and they can't seem to break out of their own zone, and then slowly they play themselves in, and by the second and third periods, they're clicking. But I don't know what the answer is to to clean up passing, aside from just be better at it. It's not like a simple no. thing. Like, like, these guys, they're professional athletes, so they should be able to be better at passing from the start of a game. And that's the thing, is that they're kind of a pretty strong passing team. Like, for the rest of the game, all of a sudden, they string together two, three passes. They are not just breaking out. They are are on the attack, and it's because of some good passing. I just don't understand why they can't break out of their own zone and just do the little things they need to do. My solution is to start the Lawton line. Put them out there. The honeybees! 
please. It's still it's the Lawton line. Uh, you put them out there to start <laughs> the game just to get their energy out there. If they have a strong shift, make a few hits, just maintain a cycle. It could just jumpstart anybody, and maybe you can just get that energy going, and that'll get everybody into the game because the uh, the ammonia inhaling isn't working. What uh, the? Uh, <laughs> they're trying. They're using that a lot. <laughs> the, the smelling salts aren't doing it. Like they need no? something else. I'm thinking maybe the uh, you can get the honeybees out there. I'll even say it. I'll even call them you the honeybees. You said it. I'll even call them the honeybees. Get them out there to start the game. You won't have because it's usually the Couturier, Giroux, Voracek line against either the other team's top line or the other team's checking line. That's usually so you're saying come come out with energy. And it's like a, it's like a feeling out process. It's like the first round of a fight, except the other team's actually throwing punches and the Flyers are just like, ah, we're trying to we're trying to work our way into it. Get the fourth line out there. Let them just skate their asses off like they do. Come out with a rocket up the ass and maybe, you know, that jump starts the team because nine. Could you imagine like this time last year, even two years start ago, the fourth line su- suggesting like starting the fourth line? No. In, in the beginning of a game would be a way to jumpstart the rest of the team. <laughs> no, I cannot imagine that scenario ever playing out at all one time ever. <laughs> I think that 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 does. You know, we, we say it all the time. We've been really hard on Hackstall. In to varying degrees between all of us. But this fourth line that he's put together works and it's good, which is different than what we've seen in the past. Their speed and their energy and their ability to maintain possession in the offensive zone, I think maybe that would just be a way, get that first shift out of the way, let everyone else watch. I'm just trying to come up with answers here because nine goals in 15 first periods is terrible. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting point, and one thing you know, one thing that I can add to why it might make sense to give them, and I'm not even talking just about just the first shift, like maybe more, maybe use them as more like the second or third line in the first period. They're probably the only line the Flyers have, which again is something of a change that is primarily dependent upon dump and chase rather than trying to create you know controlled entries and it's easier to play dump and chase than it is to do controlled entries. Like you need to string together a couple passes to get gain entry into the offensive zone with control of the puck. Whereas dump and chase a little bit easier. It's a little bit, you know, more North South, a little more straightforward. And maybe if there's a problem with stringing together passes, maybe you're better off using your most simple line early in games when the team isn't passing well enough to maybe get those, you know, rush-based offensive uh, chances. So it's it's an interesting idea, Bill. I don't hate it. Look at that. I'm making all sorts of good points. It's going to be a fun show, guys. This is, we should stop now while you're ahead. (laughs) I'm done. You guys, you guys have it. (laughs) Go eat dinner. See you later. Uh, So I'm going to start, let's get into this a bit. I guess the news of the day, the Flyers are in the midst of uh, four days off. Well, four days without a game. Um, they'll be back in action Thursday against the Blackhawks. That's at, that's at home, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. Home. They're back in I action no Thursday idea. against the Blackhawks at home. They're off since uh, the Saturday game. But uh, Nolan Patrick skated over the weekend, did not skate today. And, of course, that created, uh, you know, today's, today's uh, Twitter worry. Uh, so what are we thinking with this Nolan Patrick thing? Like, is it concerning? Is it, they're just playing it safe? What, what is going on here? 
I think it's always going to be let con- Charlie do that first. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's always going to be concerning when you have, you know, one of the great hopes of the franchise dealing with a concussion. Like that's always going to worry you. And it's clear that he is dealing with a concussion. And, you know, I think the one thing we do have to note though, is that there is some, I, there, there's maybe some ambiguity as to like what's actually going on there because a lot of people were noting this on Twitter today. Like Patrick did tweet something, I think on Instagram, he posted like an RIP thing. So like, it's possible that he might not have missed this practice because of the concussion. Maybe he's not even in Philly. Um, oh, okay. I, don't, I, I, I don't like, maybe he had like a death in the family or something. Like no one really knows, but you know, if his fantasy a, team got eliminated from contention. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happened. Um, but seriously, like it, it's all very hush hush. And I understand why teams do that. You know, they're, they want to, they want to protect the kid. It's obviously, you know, a medical thing. And it's also, they don't want to provide any information to other teams. Um, but at the same time, like Patrick, if he skated on Saturday, he skated with a note with a no contact Jersey on, um, and then obviously didn't play in the game. And if he didn't skate today, yeah, it worries you a little bit that maybe there was a setback. I was, I was hoping to see him skate at least before practice. Like I didn't know if he was going to skate at practice, but a lot of times the injured players, if they're not quite ready to go full contact, they'll skate around on their own for, you know, 20 minutes or so before the actual practice. And no one did today. I, I was there. Uh, so that's, it's concerning. Like you want to see Nolan Patrick back. And I think he would definitely help the the middle six, which has been something of a struggle for the last, you know, two, three weeks. There's a middle six on this team. <laughs> great first no. line, great fourth line. <laughs> um, actually, so I pulled up Instagram while you were saying that. So he did post a, a photograph with an RIP from Falcon Lake, Manitoba two days ago. All right, so if he if he knew they're you know they have time off from games and he wasn't going to get into the game Saturday, there's a chance he's dealing with whatever that's referring a, a to. Personal, I love journalism issue. here. We're just bring up his uh bring up his Instagram. Let's see. <laughs> Listen, it's, you learn a lot it, from players' Instagram. It's, is it's, all I'm saying. What, does anyone follow him on Snapchat? If we can get some up to the minute stuff going on. <laughs> um, I. I'm going back to your original question. Okay. I don't care <laughs> if they're playing it safe with him. I don't care. It, he's a rookie who has a history of injury, and we want him here for the long term. If they're just playing it safe and saying, we want you to feel 120% before we put you back out on the ice, that's fine. Oh, no, that's my what biggest, I... That's my what biggest I'm... concern was that he skated immediately afterwards he skated the next day after the hit and i know that sometimes concussion symptoms take a while to pop up but that's concerning to me i hope the answer is they're playing it safe like that's what i'm hoping for one just because of the history of concussions in this organization you just never know how bad it really is so give the kid all the time in the world they don't need him it's early in the season they're not making a playoff push he wasn't playing like lights out like he's got to be back in there. So just let him get healthy. That's totally fine. I have no problem with that. My issue is, was there a setback? Is there something more? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think that he's still within the reasonable time frame for a concussion. So I'm not I'm not really that worried. Take it easy with him and, and bring him back when he's ready. On the other end of that, uh, did they well, first? Did they ever call Gostas Bear's injury a concussion? Did they ever no. actually say those words? 
Mm-mm. No, but okay. I mean, it, they never actually said Patrick had a concussion either. He just let it slip in one of the interviews that he gave that he was in okay. the protocol. So, like, they never tell us anything. It's just that, yeah, you know, yeah. Patrick happened to be like, well, I'm just going in the protocol. It's like, well, there's not a protocol for, like, a bruised shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan, keep doing that. Way to go, like kid. Uh, because Gostas Bear uh, returned to action for the first, for the first time in a week uh, after he took the the hit from Leo Komarov last Saturday. He played uh, this week and was rocking a tinted visor. And I've just heard so many stories about guys who've dealt with uh, post-concussion issues and their sensitivity to light and specifically like the the bright glaring stadium lights that are like at the Wells Fargo Center or at any arena that are looking down, bouncing off the ice. You're looking up the lights creates headaches, creates vision issues. So, like, are they... Was this just precautionary that Ghost is playing with this? Maybe he's just more comfortable with it? Do you think there's a chance he's not totally healthy? And it's just like, dude, we're we're out of defensemen? Like, what is what is going on with that? Because that, that, that concerned me more than the Nolan Patrick stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know, um, you know, why... Because it, it does. There, there's a there's an inherent disconnect here. You know, you, you say that a guy can't come back from a concussion, concussion until he's 100 percent healthy, but if he's wearing a tin visor, doesn't that imply that he's not 100 percent healthy? Like it's it's a concern. I, I don't know. Um, the only thing that maybe it could be, and again, this is very like you know everything with regards to brain injuries is so murky. We don't really know everything there is to know about how to diagnose them and everything that can result from them, but like maybe there's a difference in terms of like concussion versus versus whiplash. Like maybe it's maybe whiplash is why the tin advisor, but they feel like the concussion is gone. Like I don't know, but I agree. I was I was kind of worried about that because if he's you know if they're concerned enough that that he might deal with like sensitivity to light to make him wear or have him wear a tin advisor, then you know maybe they shouldn't have him play at all. I, I I'm I'm with you, Bill. It does worry me a little bit. He's another one. Like, if we're gonna take it, if we're gonna take it slow and safe with Nolan, we need to be doing that with Ghost too, because we need these guys for the future. And I I don't know, whatever the hell is going on down there with. Their medical staff, like, I hope that they're not fucking around. I hope that they haven't employed the same people that the Sixers do, just in a some sort of cost-cutting yeah. measure. Just keep the same people around the building at all times. Uh, Steph loves when I talk about other sports on this show. She Well, this one I actually understand, <laughs> so it's okay. Yeah, I just, like, when you hear uh, guys like Keith Primo talk about what really bothers them, you know, to this day, it's the sensitivity to light stuff. Yeah. I see Gosses Bear wearing a tinted visor, and I go, that's interesting. Also... Maybe he's just channeling his inner Brian Dawkins. Yeah, maybe he thinks it's cool. Like, I'm totally fine with that. If he just thinks it's cool and he wants to rock a cool visor, uh, you know, wear it forever, man. That's fine. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I... It was just one of those things, like, immediately my head made the connection of, like, Primo, Terry, and guys like that who've talked about... Their their post-concussion problems and sensitivity to light has been, like, a a thing I've heard so many times. Pronger, all those guys say, like, the bright lights of the stadium kill you. Did they get new lights in the stadium this year, or was that only a couple years ago? (laughs) I I don't know. When Steve Steve Mason got super angry about that? 
Yeah. <laughs> That's they just needed to give Mason a tin advisor and he'd still be here. Vezina <laughs> contender Steve Mason. I want to talk about a uh, defenseman now who hasn't missed a game and basically doesn't come off the ice ever. Uh, he doesn't miss a oh shift. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Ivan Provorov is right now, I think I looked it up, I think he's like 18th in the league in total time on ice uh, per game. And over the last five games, uh, he's played 27 or more minutes. I think he topped out at like 29 one game. What are you seeing out of this? This He is incredible right now. I love Ivan Provorov. Uh, like th- th- he can't do any wrong even when he does do wrong like i don't care <laughs> yeah. like he kind of had an own goal on saturday i don't care when you play it's half good. the game five nights in a row something bad's gonna happen like- yeah yeah i don't i don't care he is perfect and really a- anything that he does is the right thing to do it's it's crazy to me that he's a 20-year-old and he's playing this much. And I I don't think it's wrong to do it. You know, he's clearly, especially when, when Ghost was out, he was clearly the one most mm-hmm. capable of playing those minutes and playing basically every type of situation. He was playing first pair power play or first first unit power play, first unit penalty kill, and then getting all the five on five minutes they could give him. And you couldn't look at it and say, well, there's anyone else in this roster that should be doing that. Like, you know, Gudis maybe, but then he got hurt. And now then it was like, okay, well, I guess Provorov's getting all the minutes. That's it. It's Provorov and the kids. When Mark Alt, who I just thought was a generic computer-generated name because the AHL doesn't track stats and they would just throw it at a guy whose (laughs) name they made up. Yeah, they just made something up. Like for all the stuff they (laughs) they missed, they were just like, "Uh, Mark Alt, a video game character. Uh, and then Will O'Neill, who's even like with two L's, when, when they're both, in, which I have been told is a totally normal way to spell O'Neill. When they're both in your lineup, like I guess you just have to play Provorov, you know, twenty nine minutes or whatever it was. Uh, that that St. Louis game, I've always like Provorov. I, I've seen greatness in him i've always wondered like is he a real number one defenseman or is he a number one defenseman because we absolutely need him to be uh that st louis game uh, i couldn't stop gushing over him in my post game it was just the most talk about getting what you need out of a guy when you just needed something like that performance and got it out of him I was I was I was never more sold on Ivan Provorov. Twenty seven minutes, ten blocks. Like he was just he was everywhere. Yeah, um, I want to talk about that St. Louis game specifically, but I want to talk about the post game that was on TV because the the professionals who have been covering this man for at least a year were marveling over how well he speaks English, how he's, they were marveling over his grasp on the English language. This Russian man who is 20 years old, listen to how good he sounds. He's been here since like, he was like 15. This is literally what they're saying Where, on did TV. They really? Yeah, I was this doing, is what they're saying on TV. I was doing, it, it was astounding. I was doing the Facebook Live, so I didn't hear it. But like, did anyone say, hey, he's been here since he was like 15 or 16? No, no. Like, they were all agreeing. So I went on Twitter and fired off a handful of tweets. Like, Ivan's been here for a long time. He went to middle school. He came over here, I think it was 2011. 
He went to middle school in fucking Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Like, that's where <laughs> he came by himself at, I think, 14 years old. He came to the United States to pursue his dream of playing in the NHL. Like at 14, he was that good to be like, all right, well, I need to, to escape the communist stuff. He to play for he, my dream. And then he went up to Brandon in the middle of the fucking Canadian prairies and lived there for however many years. Like the man has been in the United States for a long time. He's been in North America. And you've covered him for a year. Like, why are you just talking about this now? It's <laughs> ignorant. It's ignorant. And it's so friggin' irritating. I just think it's hilarious that they don't even know. Like they, they have no clue. <laughs> they have no clue. Like, oh, I can't imagine this Russian man right off the boat can speak such good English. Like, pull your heads out of your asses. <laughs> Leave my large adult son alone. Do you guys have any uh, any reservations that maybe he can't keep up this workload? Yeah, I, I definitely, I absolutely do. Oh, I, do. I don't. <laughs> I do. I, I mean, he I said yeah. recently, and I don't know who it was to, uh, but he said recently that his recovery rate between shifts has decreased so he can do he, he can have a two-minute shift rest for 30 seconds and then jump back out there i mean i'm certain he thinks he can and and that's exactly <laughs> the attitude that i want him to have but i also ideally don't want him playing this much especially when the flyers have their full complement of defensemen back because i think the flyers have other good defensemen like I want Ghost playing a lot. I want Gudis playing a yeah. lot. I by the you know by next month I probably will want Sandheim playing a lot. Like the, I want their other good defensive playing a lot. The only way he's going to be getting this much this many minutes every game is if the Flyers are just basically leaning on him. Plus, I don't like if the Flyers reunite Provorov and Gostisbehere. I'm okay with got with Provorov getting a ton of minutes. If Provorov is playing with McDonald or Haig, I'm not as okay with it. But that's more speaking to no, who, because that, 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 that that's more speaking to who he's partnered with rather than him. Because, you know, there is another guy out there with him, typically. Yeah. Uh, and that person gets a ton of minutes, too. Like you said, Provorov also, with Ghost out, was getting the power play one minutes. He's their top penalty killer, so he gets those minutes, too. And when they have their full complement back, he shouldn't be playing 27-plus a night, I don't think. But, like, that 24 range where they've had him for a lot of the year, where they had him a lot at the end of last year. I guess that's just what it is. Like, that's who they think this guy is, a true number one, like, defenseman. And when the playoffs come, that's what you expect out of your number one, is you're taking half the game, dude. That's that's yeah. your job. Yeah. No, when the playoffs roll around, everybody shortens their bench. You know, that was that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, it was funny. We got to see Nashville do it last year, but it goes back to like what the Flyers did in, you know, when they went on their, their cup run. Like one of the reasons why the Flyers went on that run was because the Flyers had four good defensemen. And in the regular season, you kind of have to play your third pair. But when the playoffs roll around, it's like, eh, third pair doesn't matter. They'll get four minutes a game. So they were able to basically only play their four really good defensemen. You saw the same thing with Nashville. Like Nashville's third pair was eh. But then in the playoffs, they just rolled with, you know, at every shift, one of or both of Ekholm, Yossi, uh, Ellis, and Subban were all on the were, were on the ice, and that helped Nashville get to the finals. So, like, yeah, when the playoffs roll around, you're going to want Provo playing more minutes, and it's definitely good that he's showing he can take it. And that's the other thing, is that when those situations happen, you're less, you're less into keeping the pairs together, so... Like, Provorov will jump on with one of the third-pair guys rather than have 
two third pair level defensemen out together, you'll be able to split up that ice time. And I just like, I see him playing five straight games and like three of those games were in five days of 27 plus minutes. And I go, this is awesome. I love seeing it and he's killing it. I just like, will he be able to maintain this kind of workload? We all heard about his off season regimen and he's like friggin' Rocky training for, to fight Ivan Drago, like climbing up mountains and got like lifting trucks with, with his mind and, and, like and doing whatever. God knows what, but <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just in awe of, of his performance over the last couple nights. He's really sold me on him. Like, I knew he was good. I saw a certain level out of him that I was like, okay, he's this good. But now I believe he's better than I thought, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, me too. And I think that Sanheim has had a really strong couple of games in the last couple nights as well. Um, Saturday and whatever the game was before that. I think that his his last two games have been really strong. As I see Sanheim like get more comfortable, I get more I don't know if upset is the word, but I'm more critical of the decision to pull him in and out of the lineup early in the season. I'm just like, "Oh, but he could have been at this 3 days early." Like I I it's a small thing and he's in the lineup every night now, so it doesn't really matter. But I just see well, it So is Brandon yeah. Manning. Let's see what happens when they all get healthy. I just see a guy getting more and more comfortable and I think uh, what what if he was this comfortable two weeks ago? Like, where would he be right now? It's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things, but it's a frustration. You feel rough. It's still frustrating. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that Sanheim is going to be, hopefully, long-term Provorov's partner. So let's yeah, I'd be- get him as comfortable as possible for as, as long as possible. Yeah, I'd be super excited uh, if that pairing works out. I mean, the way I look at it with Sandheim is he's shown me maybe maybe not yet, although that may be more just him proving it to the coach rather than him proving it to me. But like to me, he's shown me that he's a top four NHL defenseman. And mm-hmm. now you've got three guys who ev- who are, you know, under the age of 25, who I'm confident are top three and or top four NHL defensemen in Provorov, Gossespierre, and Sandheim. You really only need one more. And like, in my mind, Radko Gudis, you know, in the moment is perfectly f- capable of doing that. Yeah, he's a little bit older and maybe he's not part of the future in the same way that guys like Provorov, Sandheim, Ghost are. But you got three out of your four spots locked up and now it's just a matter of like, okay, well, you know, if Phil Myers, who has looked very good in the AHL. If he's that guy, there's your four. And then you mix and match them and you put together your four and there's your four for the next 10 years. I will not have any slander against my Swedish muffin today. (laughs) I thought I killed that dead last week. There was no slander there. It was slander by omission. Slander by omission. He is like, um, he's a great, he's a great, third pair scenario it's like oh yeah and we got robert haig on the third pair that's a good scenario for the flyers if robert haig is on the third pairing you've got a really good defense exactly and i'm okay with that. exactly imagine if it's like him and friedman imagine a completely homegrown defense that would be be beautiful that'd be super neat (laughs) compared to what they've had oh my god uh, and, so and, and, and just to, just to, just to stay on that for a second, but like you're seeing, not to go, just to go back to Nashville. You're seeing what you can do when you have a homegrown young defense. Like they have their top four locked in. So then, what can you do? You can trade away a Sam Girard for a Kyle Terrace. And like, 
yeah, they gave up a lot, but where's where was Sam Gerard really going to play on that defense? Well, you have, yeah, you have and, excess assets, then trade them away for something you need. They needed a second line center. They got one. And when you're the Predators and have like the track record you do of developing defensemen, you're going to find another one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, what are you not? Like, come on. <laughs> you're absolutely just going to find another one. Uh, you, you've lost Shea Weber. and you've lo- on trees. You've lost Ryan Suter and you've lost Shea Weber and you've gotten better. And, like, and Seth Jones. <laughs> and Seth Jones. That's why I forgot all about Seth Jones. And you're better. You made it to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's you have to just have confidence that you can also find another one. And that's where the Flyers, with the stockpiling of all this, uh, are looking at for their future. But I want to talk about, I want to move to the offense for a moment. Uh, I read this in, uh, I believe it was in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts. Uh, his reporting on Couturier and Giroux. Uh, first, it was a uh, a Dave Hackstall quote that the Claude Giroux's move to left wing is no longer an experiment. Uh, this is going to be a big part of what the Flyers do. Giroux said it was fortunate he had the preseason to dip his toe in the water, but added one of the reasons it worked so well is he's comfortable making plays on his backhand. And the other reason it's worked is that Sean Couturier embraced the offensive role. Uh, the coaching staff and front office were curious to see if the center, spelled R-E because he's Canadian and I love that, uh, would be too deferential or simply along for the ride, but no, he's out there to score. <clears throat> Giroux says he's always believed in his offensive ability and he knew he could do this. Oh, Couturier said that, not Giroux. Uh, Couturier, yeah, that makes sense because it was him talking about himself. Um, which is Which is good because... You know, after all of the years of of getting beaten down into a defensive role, which I, I'm being obviously a little bit facetious here because he wasn't beaten down. It's somewhere that he excels. Um, but he did score a lot in juniors, so it's good that that didn't leave him. That confidence didn't go anywhere. I just it's comforting for me to see. I just think this is, like, not only is it cool to see Couturier finally getting the points and clearly having more confidence on the ice to make plays than he has in the past, but in so many ways, like, this line is perfect for what he's good at offensively because, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. Like, he's not an amazing skater. He's he's okay. When he gets going, he's not slow, but he doesn't have great acceleration. And if he's the guy on the line that has to create for other people that's probably not where he excels and I think on a lot of his lines particularly when he was with teammates that weren't the most offensively skilled he kind of had to do that and it was sort of understandable that he wasn't going to score a lot but with this line like we talked about it last year with Drew and Voracek how we didn't like Drew and Voracek together anymore because Voracek plays a perimeter game that's his game he you know carries it around the side, looks for people to pass to, and Giroux was playing more of a perimeter game over the past few years. So you had two guys who both could do cool things, but were both on the outside, and no one was actually getting to the dirty areas. And Couturier now does not have to do the puck carrying around the outside. Now all he can do, all he has to do, is he just goes to the front of the net, goes to the corners, wins puck battles, and then gets open in the slot and the net front to receive passes from Drew and, and Voracek. And that's perfect for him. And that's a huge reason why he's racking up all these points because so many of his goals have come, you know, taking a pass right in front and scoring or picking up a rebound. Like, he's getting to that area. 
And if he wasn't with Drew and Couturier, he probably wouldn't have as many opportunities. But at the same time, if Drew and if it wasn't with Drew and Voracek, but if Drew and Voracek weren't with him, they wouldn't have anybody to pass to. So it's like this perfect combination where you're using the three players' strengths and you're masking all their weaknesses. It's like this perfect balance. And you're talking about a guy in Giroux who I mean, he had 14 goals last year, and people are like, yo, this this could be a problem. And all of a sudden, he's on like a 40-goal pace. He's got eight goals in 15 games. Like, this is the best goal scoring he's ever done. Again, only 15 games into the season. But he is putting up points. We always knew the playmaking ability was there. But he's able to score from, from his new position. Hmm. Who predicted that? Somebody very, very smart. Mark Farzetta? No. Oh, it was <laughs> Kelly. It was Kelly. Maybe it was Kelly. It could have been <laughs> I've been so happy with what I've seen from Giroud though this year. It's been, it's been really cool because it's not. It is the speed. The speed is a big part of it. Like he's winning races to pucks that he would not have won the race to last year. But it's also just that you know he's he's making plays that he wasn't making last year. You know there are passes that he's getting through that he wasn't getting through last year. And I talked about it in my one of my observations posts over the past couple of days. You know it felt like. A lot of times watching him on the ice, it felt like he was trying to do everything and as a result was doing nothing. And now he's just playing his role and he's playing his role with two other guys that are really good at their role. And that's why it's all just working perfectly. And because he, you know, knows how to play center and did it at a high level for a while... Like, when he's the first guy back, he can help out down low in the defensive zone. And when he needs to win a face-off, he can. So, like, it's you're really getting the best out of Drew because he can do a lot, but you're only asking him consistently to do the shit he's best at, create on offense. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I am happy i think that's the, the the emotion i think i think it's happy um that it's working with couturier in a way that it never worked with Braden shen that's a great point that is a great point i love that you've turned on Braden shen since his hit on couturier you are now a, a Braden shen hater i'm a Braden shen hater. yeah you've turned on him 100 percent since he hit couturier I had a lot of conflicting feelings. <laughs> it was, it was, Most it was a of tough which day for was, Steph. that's your brother. What the fuck are you doing? Uh, Charlie, I, uh, I was reading your uh, point predictions for Couturier. I was hoping you would get a little into that because we're all just looking at the pace and going, oh, my God, imagine if he keeps this up. What did your uh, wh- how did you come to your predictions? What were they? All that stuff. Explain it to the idiots like me. Sure, I'll explain it to the idiot like you, Bill. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, the uh, basically the point of the post was, and this was a concern of mine, is that you know everybody's looking at his point totals and looking at his point per game and thinking like, hey, wouldn't it be great if he's you know scoring 80, 85 points? And then when he doesn't, people you know think, well, he didn't have a strong finish of the year because he didn't keep up this amazing pace that we never would have expected he was capable of even a month and a half ago. So I just wanted to kind yeah. of provide some general, you know, reasonable projections as to what could happen. And I, I did it based on, you know, career numbers, numbers that he's produced over the past couple of years, um, just kind of modeled it out in a way that, you know, made it so I could reasonably predict what could happen. 
Um, so I ended up with like three possible scenarios. Uh, the first, the, the high end scenario was, you know, let's assume that the first line keeps scoring at the degree that it's, that it's doing now. And well, not scoring, but is, is producing scoring chances at the degree they're doing now. And that could turn reading some sorry, of the comments. I'm just going to jump in here, Charlie and people like getting crazy about some of your, like, Oh, your predictions are way low. And you just made the point, like, the first line is playing amazing right now. I don't think anyone realizes all three guys are in the top ten in in points in the NHL. Like, that's probably not a pace they can keep up. That's not a small deal. Yeah, like, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's awesome, but... it's Yeah, it's, it's great, and if they can keep it up... Cool, but, like, that's, <laughs> that's really hard to do. Yeah. It, would would you identify that emotion if they do as happy? Yes, I, I think, think, think happy would be a good emotion there. Happy would be <laughs> fine. That's one that I think we all struggle with. We we do <laughs> at times. Disbelief. I would be I would be in disbelief, I think. But uh but just to to, to continue, so like the high end prediction I had was around seventy points, and that was just assuming that the first line keeps racking up scoring chances as they are now, and now the Couturier is on the top power play unit, that he scores at about the same rate that Braden Shen did in that role. Uh, not, not how Braden Shen did last year, but how he did over like the past three years. Now, those are both mm-hmm. pretty optimistic projections because, you know, the first line's doing great now. We hope they're going to keep racking up scoring chances the way they are. But like other teams are going to watch tape of these guys over the course of the year, and maybe they'll figure out how to better defend against them. And, you know, assuming that Couturier can produce like Braden Shen on the power play, though, that's taking a leap of faith. Braden Shen was very good on the power play. But even if both those things happen, you're still probably talking about him maxing out at around like 70 points. Um, to me, the more like reasonable, realistic scenario was around like 60 to 62 ish. And that would imply that Couture the rest of the way scores at about the same five on five rate that he did over the past two years when he took a big leap uh, into like low end one first line center territory uh, at five on five. So it's good numbers, not you know, dropped at amazing like they've been so far this year, but good. And then on power play one, he he's, he keeps the role. He doesn't get dropped off of it, but you know, he gets about maybe seventy five percent of of what Braden Shem would have would have delivered in that role. That would put him at around 60, 62, 63 points, which to me would be an amazing year for Couturier, considering everything else he provides in terms of two way play. But even the low end scenario, like even if everything breaks against him, that he drops back down to his career, his career averages. So this is, you know, including the years he spent on the fourth line with Zach Ronaldo and he gets yanked off power play one and continues to be a total waste of space on power play two, like he had been over the past few years. He still would finish with around 45 to 50 points, considering how many points he's racked up so far. That would already put him above the, you know, the 40 point threshold that everybody screams he's never passed. So even you know, assuming he stays healthy, assuming he plays all 82 games, which is obviously, a, you know, pretty, you know, it's an optimistic assumption. He's gotten hurt the past few years, but assuming he plays oh, all after that, games, Shen, like, after we're going to see his best, we're going like, to see his best offensive year of his career. We're going to see his best offensive year of his career as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, after that Shen hit, I was like, oh, here we go. Of course. Yeah. You know, Sean Couturier producing at a clip like like the best centers in the league. Of course, he gets hit in the head by his former teammate. Why wouldn't that happen? Yeah, I was I was leg- I was very, very worried. I was legitimately worried that I was going to get yelled at for jinxing him by posting that <laughs> when he came back. I was that I think when he came back is the happiest I've been all season. I was like, yes, he's alive. All right. Uh, yeah, because we've seen what happens to this team, even in a third line capacity when he's out for any extended period of time and shit goes south really quickly. I can only imagine what it would look like. It can. If, and now. 
with one C. I don't. How are people saying that? I know that they're typing it one couturier, but is are they saying it differently? I I, I can't imagine how that would make any sense. Like one well, one couturier. I don't either. It doesn't, does, <laughs> it's not a snappy way to say it. It definitely looks better than it sounds. Yeah, that's something yeah. you can only type out. Like one C atourier. I don't know. That doesn't sound hmm. right. No. I don't like it. That's All too right, much. All right, so we're just going to keep typing it, and it's never going to be mentioned out loud ever Yeah, again. it's one of those I things. Like, it. like you, don't, you don't talk. Like, who talks to people anyway? Like, everything's in text. It's true. I wish we could do this show via text. text. Just, like, have a printout of our Slack chat. Just we could do that. <laughs> that would be some good Patreon. patrons. I was going to say, that would be some good Patreon content. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to ask a question. That I don't really want to ask because I hate when I get it on my post games. And I hate having to be the guy who's like, no, this is a skill team. They're just going to skate around the goons and outskill people and all that kind of stuff. But I've seen a, uh, uh, a string of runs taken on Ghost and Lear and Couturier. And we've had a bunch of injuries already. And just knowing that the playoffs are this ridiculous battle that you need a certain amount of, of grit and toughness and snarl are the flyers tough enough well that's a really good question and one that i don't know whether i have the answer to because in my head you know there there is always some type of physical retribution when a player gets injured or when a player gets blindsided in the middle of the ice, a la Braden Shen, Sean Couturier, and the team really hasn't responded. Now, Braden Shen, Brandon Manning said that that was a different issue because it was Braden Shen. They weren't going to push the envelope there, which, quite frankly, is bullshit. You can't you can't let that happen to your players, no matter who's doing it. I don't I don't care. I don't care. Um, and I don't know. You, you made the joke actually right before. He tried to kill Couturier, but you said that you wanted to see a Braden Shen fight. I know. I, I felt you, I felt so bad about that because then something yeah. happened and I was like, oh, it was like shit. Yeah, it was like right after I tweeted that. I just wanted yeah. to see Shen fight because I thought it would be entertaining. And then, yeah. and but then I he like you, who yeah. who was gonna fight him? Who was gonna fight him? I mean, Simmons is always the go to, but I really don't want him. Fighting. I'll tell you who's a, a an above average fighter that no one ever thinks about, and that's Jake Voracek. I've seen Jake whoop some. I ass. really don't want him fighting either. Yeah, but just once, it's fine. I didn't, like not in that situation. I was just saying before, like if there was gonna be a fight, why not? Um, and then I then I I'm like going through the roster. I'm like if. There's someone that I'm confident could fight and like I it wouldn't kill me, wouldn't kill the team. Like I'm like Scott Lawton, maybe. Like maybe we throw Lawton in a fight. I don't I don't know. Taylor Lear's a little bit too small. We Sir Laterra. Michael Roffle can throw, I guess. I don't know. You solve two problems at once with Weiss or Laterra. They're oh, off- easily. Oh, anytime. They're, they're, they they should be the goons. They're off the ice for five minutes, and they took care of the issue. And Latera's a big dude. I, is I guess Weese is too. Weese is tall, but like Latera seems like he's a little bit more beefy. 
Okay, he might be able to take some take some dudes. I, I don't think Laterra is very aggressive. Like we, I've actually been, and and I'll go into my answer in a minute. But I've been somewhat surprised at how little grit that Dale Weiss has shown as a flyer. Because prior to joining the Flyers, like he was, he was one of those guys that you know the the rough and tumble section of a fan base really liked him. Like he was popular where he went because he was willing to mix it up and drop the gloves and make big hits and stuff. And then. You know, in Philadelphia, he just really hasn't done it. He's just kind of skated around. And, like, yeah, That's- once in a while he gets into a fight, like, maybe once every, like, 30 games or so. But he hasn't played a particularly aggressive and intense style of play, which is not what I was expecting from Dale Weiss. Letera is definitely the, uh, more of, like, your your classic, like, you know, finesse-type player in terms of not throwing checks. Like, he's strong on the puck, but he's not going to be ultra-physical. But Weiss, that was his reputation. In the Wednesday game against Chicago, yeah, the Wednesday game against Chicago, Emmerich's announcing, he must have called Weiss rugged like three or four times. <laughs> and I was like, what What do you mean? I, I have never once seen this dude do anything I would describe as rugged. Does he just like camping? Is he just a big <laughs> fan of, like, what is rugged about this guy? Does he drive a Jeep? Like, what, what are you talking about? But apparently, like, that's who he, I just, because when they signed him, I thought he was better Ryan White. That's what I assumed he was. And he hasn't been anything close to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been weird. I, I've not gotten anything like what I expected to get out of Dale Weiss, and I was not even that high on the signing in the first place, but he's found a way to disappoint me as well. But uh, to go back <laughs> to your original question about are the Flyers tough enough, like, I'm really conflicted on this one because on one hand, like, I, I, one thing I will say, I'm not worried about like them not being physical enough. Like I think you, you threw a stat in there about hits. Like I don't worry too much about that. You know, you can, you, you can impose your will on a team without hitting a lot. If you just have the puck all the time, you play a skill game. Like that's not what I'm concerned about. What I, yeah, I, I was just little... interested in the number. I just wanted yeah, to see yeah. what the number was. It's three Oh four. They're right in the middle. And that's NHL real time stats. So like that shit is calculated by a blind guy. It could be literally anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not worried about that aspect of it, but I am. Yeah a bit concerned about the lack of responses to hits and it's not you know i think what it comes down to for me and you know again hearing this from a staff person like it comes down to the intangible aspects of a team you know one thing i will always say about the flyers teams over the last few years is even when they weren't that good they always stood up for their teammates they might not have been a good team but everyone in that locker room knew that if they got felled by a cheap shot that someone had their back and this is two straight hits, you know, the, the Komarov hit on Ghost and then the Shen hit on Couturier where, you know, those guys, both of those players, you know, I don't know if it creeped, if the thought creeped in their minds, but like, you know, they had to, they maybe were wondering, like, I'm kind of surprised no one, you know, stood up for me on that mm-hmm. one. And, and that's the type of thing that it's intangible, but I do think it does have an impact on, you know, not even, I wouldn't even say team chemistry, but just like team trust, like trusting that your teammates have your back. And I think that does have an impact overall on the way you play if you trust your teammates and you think that they're behind you now you could make the argument that there were there were extenuating circumstances in both situations the Komarov hit on ghost was in the middle of a power play the play didn't stop you want to score on a power play maybe the 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 calculation by the players in the ice was you know he'll be okay we were better off making them pay by scoring on that play and then the Couture Shen thing had the fact that Shen was a former teammate and if it was anybody else maybe they would have went after him plus there was an undermanned defense so maybe they didn't want to have somebody go off the ice for five minutes because 
you're already rolling with two AHL lifers in Alton O'Neill, and you know to lose another defenseman maybe wasn't the best move at the time, but. At the same time, you know, this is getting to be something of a trend of them letting these hits go without, you know, even not even talking about like dropping the gloves and punching the guy in the face, but like even like a scrum. Like you weren't even seeing yeah. scrums after that. Like Shen was just kind of skating off on his own next to a ref. Yeah, like, nobody even grabbed Shen. Nobody made an attempt to be like, yo, dude, what the fuck? Like, nothing. Nothing happened. I, like, that, I like, just, like Simmons was yelling at him. But yeah, and that was about it. But after he was in the penalty box. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm just concerned about it. Like you said, Charlie, like these are those extenuating circumstances. I get it. But the same way I talked about um, Ghost getting scratched and Konechny getting scratched last year. Um, it's more about the bigger picture than some random game. Um, bigger picture wise. I want the team chemistry. I want this team to trust each other. I want the players to feel safe with one another more so than I care about. We blew a power play on a Saturday night in October against Toronto. Like, yeah, that's that's a bummer when it happens. But I forget about that two days later. I have not forgotten about the hit. That's that's just how I feel on that subject. But yeah, I'm just I want to see how this plays out over the next couple games. And they are so shorthanded right now that probably plays a part more than anything i would like everyone's hurt including wayne simmons who is their you know the guy who does that kind of stuff uh when you when you have a a league that where you can't just ice a fighter because he'll be a waste of space out there you have a guy like wayne simmons who can fight and when he's hurt uh, you, you can't really what are you supposed to do he just had dental work done and he's got to go get punched in the face it's it's a tough situation i have another question for you guys let's hear it why Bill. why do the flyers give up so many shorthanded goals they've given up three this season they've allowed 20 shorthanded goals during Hackstall's tenure which is the fourth most and since 2011-12, which was Drew's first year as the 1C, they've allowed 49 shorthanded goals, which is third most in the NHL. Why do they give up so many shorthanded goals? Did you just kind of blame Claude Giroux for giving up shorthanded no, goals? No, that's Claude just being captain. No, that's just the that's just the time period because that's when this team became Giroux's team. Like, okay. So I'll, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'll. I actually think it's interesting that you you made the Drew one C thing kind of the the cutoff point because there might be something to that, but not necessarily because it's Drew. That's around the time the Flyers switched to um to the one three one power play formation in the offensive zone. They used to kind of run more of like an overload. Yeah, uh, where it's a little bit safer. You know, you have more guys up top rather than just kind of having the one most of the time with with the one defenseman. You know, maybe that it, one of the byproducts of running that formation is you do risk giving up more shorthanded goals because you have less guys back. That may have played a slight role, but I did I did want to make the point that I think it's mostly two things that really aren't don't speak terribly to the flyer skaters. Number one, I think it's just partially that the goalies aren't that good. Like. Mason, we we've had this conversation before. Mason historically had been very bad at on the penalty kill as a Flyers goalie, and that didn't help. I, I don't. I then maybe you know you look at it like he wasn't the greatest shootout goalie. Shootouts are um you know, shootouts are breakaways basically on shorthanded goals. You're basically dealing with breakaways. Um, 
So over those seven seasons that you noted, the Flyers had an 87.96% save percentage, which is the fourth worst in the NHL uh, at five at uh, five on four. So when they had a man advantage, so the goaltending has played a major role. But another interesting stat, and I was talking about about this with with Bill before the show. Over those seven seasons, the Flyers actually have 111 more minutes at five on four than any other NHL team. So it's also just a raw numbers thing. Like they're drawing more penalties, which gives the other team more opportunities to, uh, to get shorthanded goals. Of course, it also gives the Flyers more opportunities to score power play goals. So for everyone out there who thinks that the refs have some vendetta against the Flyers, they've had 111 more power play minutes than any other team over the last seven seasons. And that's kind of what I was getting at with the Giroux thing is that when he takes over the team when they trade Richardson Carter, the the power play changes a bit. And he is, because he's such an amazing power play forward, he becomes the point guard there, and they change the formation to the 1-3-1. And I, I just remember, I can't remember what season it was, but there was a season with Richardson Carter where through 81 games, they gave up no shorthanded goals. And it was like a big deal. They were going to be the first Flyers team ever not to give up a shorty. And then on the 82nd game of the year, they gave (laughs) up a shorthanded goal. That's so Flyers. What do you (laughs) think? Hi, Steph. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, I just... I I don't know what you want me to say. I guess it's uh, like the time on the advantage was a big one for me. Like when you see they have 111 more more uh power play minutes of course they're going to give up more shorthanded goals like it's just sample size i guess but i don't know it's concerning they they gave up another one the other night I, it's just such a bummer like it's it just is. such a momentum killer to give up a, a shorthanded goal the other team feels so good about it yeah it makes fans feel like crap and that's another thing like you know it sticks in your head because it was you know, you got you built it yourself up to think, hey, they might score on this play. The Flyers might score on, on this next two minute power play. This could be a real, uh, real game changer for them. And then not only do they not score, they give up a goal. And then you're extra angry because not only were you not expecting them to give up a goal, you were expecting they might score one. So it's a it's almost like a two goal swing in your head, which makes sense that it sticks with people. Are you guys worried about the goalies? Oh, God, yeah, they're fucking terrible. <laughs> Thanks, Steph. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just, they're bad. They're both bad. They're both bad, and they get on, it's not even a hot streak. It's an average streak. I think no. what's interesting, yeah, what's interesting to me about the goaltender situation, like, like, Elliot's definitely had his good games. When he's been bad, he's been really bad. But then you have Neuvert, who, like, he'll have, an, he'll have like, two awesome games. And you'll say to yourself, all right, you know, maybe Neuvert is really starting to, uh, you know, make a case to take on a bigger role. And like just when they're just when they give him that start where it's very clearly like the start where, you know, if you do really good in this one, you might jump Elliot. Then he lays an egg like or he just doesn't look that good. And he reminds you like, oh, yeah, this is why he's better served as like the one B or the the high end backup because he can't strain together enough really good starts to make that strong case to jump Elliot. But then you have Elliot who sometimes just goes out there and can't stop a puck. So you're in a weird situation. Now that's like, it's wild. Elliot is either really good or really bad. And you have two guys who just have these wild swings. Like you just can't, it's almost like I, I don't, 
I don't envy the coach because what's he supposed to? He's just got to guess. He's like, I don't know. We'll probably get something out of one of them tonight. I we'll see. I, like, it's it's such a tough situation. You have one guy you can't overplay him because he gets hurt. You have another guy who you kind of brought in to be the starter, but he's working his way back into being a star. I just I thought Elliot was going to be better than he's been mm. so far, and I stuck up for him in the beginning of the season because like at one point like four of his five starts. He had a 9-13 or better save percentage, and then the Nashville game was just a, uh, an embarrassment, so that brought his numbers down overall. But he's just had so many ups and downs already. Yeah. It's not good. Not good here, folks. And I think, I think that was sort of the M.O. of Brian Elliott, was that he was a very erratic goalie, which is, like, I can deal with a goalie being erratic. I can deal with a goalie, you know, once in a while, just having a crap game. And that, that's fine. You know, goalies are goalies. They're weird. But, you know, he's played in nine games this year, and he has an 892 save percentage. And, like, you can be erratic as long as, in the end, your numbers are there. But the problem is that so far this year, the numbers haven't been there because he's been too erratic to the point where, like, he's clearly performing like a below-average goalie. And I think uh, I think Kurt actually had an article today on BSH saying that it's primarily because he's been really poor on the pe- on the, the penalty kill. He just isn't stopping pucks uh, while the Flyers are shorthanded, which, I mean, it's funny. You know, I think that was one of the things that, like, Bill was hoping was going to be an improvement because Mason wasn't good at that. And it's like, well, now Brian Elliott's having the same problem. He's Western Conference Steve Mason. They just switched. <laughs> you totally don't need your goalie to be the best player on your penalty kill. Like, you totally don't. It's amazing that. they brought in Steve Mason. He's the exact same guy. He just catches with the other hand. That's it. <laughs> Everything is bad. I mean, it's Philadelphia. Like, what did we expect? Did we really expect that the goalies were going to, you know, be perfectly reliable and we weren't going to have somebody to yell about? Like, remember where we live. Is, <laughs> is Carter Hart over Mono yet? Let's get him going. Yeah, I think he's back. Okay. He is. Uh, I, I, How, how's Stolarz doing with his recovery? He's not, com- he's not coming back anytime soon. <laughs> don't don't awesome. pin your hopes on Anthony Stolarz. Let me put it that way. All right. So there's this player on the Phantoms. Named Oscar Lindblom. Named Donique Martel. Oh, right. And he's got now 13 goals in 13 games. Seems pretty good. He leads the AHL in goals as well as points with 17 of those. Uh, He's got 13 goals on 45 shots, which is like 29% shooting. So maybe, I don't know, maybe he's just got the best shot ever. Uh, But... (laughs) That's really Maybe. high, so you can't expect him to sustain it. But we've saying we've been saying he's not going to sustain this pace for like two weeks now, and he just has. Uh, he's still sustaining it. <laughs> he's twenty two. He's way undersized, but he's only twenty two, and he's performing. At what point do they have to consider a call up for this guy? Yeah, it's. Well, the easy answer is ahead, when Steph. there's room. What, Steph? I said the easy answer is when there's room. There's no room for him right now. See, I'm not sure I totally buy that. Like, is there room? I mean, yeah, I guess they theoretically have to, like, send someone down. But we've talked about it, how when everyone, including Nolan Patrick, is healthy on the forward side, they have eight top nine forwards. And then they have Dale Weiss, Yuri Laterra, Matt Reed. Like, I mean... Would I have any issue at all with Danik Martel give, being given a shot as the ninth forward on the top nine? No, I really wouldn't have any issue at all. At the same time, I agree that the Flyers are going to look at it as 
the only way we're going to give a guy like Danik Martell a shot is if a similar type of player were to get hurt, which is kind of like what happened to Wheel last year. Like, Wheel didn't come up mm-hmm. until Konechny got hurt, and they felt like, okay, well, we were okay with putting Wheel in place of Konechny, and might be the same thing with Martell, but, I mean, would I have any problem at all if they, you know, found a way to dump Weiss and then brought Martell up to play as the ninth forward on the third line? Like, no, I, I'd love that. So, yeah, there's a there's a problem with space, but like, should there be? <laughs> that, that's sort of my thing. That's we've heard, and it was mostly talking about the defensemen, but we've heard Hextall say, I'm not gonna block the kids. If they earn the spot, we'll it's theirs. Like we will make other moves, and we've seen it in the past. They sent Matt Reed down to start this season. They scratched Dale Weiss a lot last year. They put Andrew McDonald a little bit this year. Yeah, yeah, they and they put Andrew McDonald in the minors a couple of years ago. So like, they're willing to do it. If Martell keeps like, say he has twenty goals in twenty five games, they have to bring him up, right? I I don't know. I I don't I don't see it happening because they were just like Charlie said, they were ready to let Jordan Wheel rot in the AHL until Konechny got hurt. So I just I don't, don't think they're going, yeah, I just don't think they're going to, um, I don't think they're totally sold on Martell yet. Like the, the, the cool thing about this for Martell is that he was and granted, he's only 22. It'll be 23 in December, but he was very quickly sliding into that realm of like a quad a guy who was yeah. never really going to get his shot. And I think the one thing this has absolutely done is it's put him back into the realm of, okay, we consider you a prospect. And that's huge for Martell. He's, he's turning heads. He's impressing. And that's great. But it wasn't like he was a guy who they viewed as a potential call up. And then he had a great start. He was a guy who they viewed as no chance of getting a call up. And now he's pushed himself into the realm of, okay, we're, we're watching you. I think he has to continue this for another couple months before he pushes himself into the realm of, okay, you know, past we're watching you and into, okay, we believe this is you. Now we may think about calling you up. And when you look at something like the guy, this is his third season, like third full season in the AHL. He scored 20, 22 goals his two previous seasons. Now he's got 13 in 13 games. You see him shooting 29%, and you go, okay, is this a guy who can score 20 in the AHL, and he's just off to an incredible start, or has he actually improved himself? And when you see like he's 22 years old, uh, maybe he is just a guy who's worked his worked his game to this point that he deserves a shot at the next level yeah i mean we this is the second week in a row that we've talked about him so obviously he's doing his job correctly um he's a little dude and i said this last week and i showed charlie a picture from the last flyers wives carnival with him standing next to sam moran and if he was actually five foot eight there should only be a foot difference between them and there is much more than a foot difference between these two men he is small. And- but I will say, while we think of the Flyers as a team who may discriminate against smaller guys, they're the smallest team in the league last yeah, year. Last year, and then they wised up because they were crap last year. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a very small dude. But... So was Danny Breer. No, he, I'm, t- I'm telling you he's smaller than Danny Breer. I swear to God he's my height. <laughs> 
And and Danny Breer also was, you know, his numbers in juniors were far more impressive than than Martel's. Like they Martel, were, yeah. Martel is an undrafted free agent. That's part of the reason why I think he was so far down the organizational depth chart. Like he got drafted, he, got, he didn't get drafted. He got, he got signed by the Flyers after a strong draft plus two season uh, in the queue. But, like, it was still his draft plus two season. He didn't get noticed in his draft year or his draft plus one year to the point where he was offered a contract. So it was understandable why he was far down the organizational depth chart. It's just now he's he's pushing himself back up or maybe up that chart for the first time, which, I mean, good for him. Yeah. I think it just kind of comes down to, you know, how far is he up that chart now? Like, I don't think he's ahead of Vecchioni or uh, or Limblom. That's, that, okay. So... That- that makes the most sense is that there's other guys down there ahead of him too. I just, when I see a guy like Martel, I want to know if he's Jordan wheel or if he's Jason Atkinson. Let's Fair. find out. Well, have we determined Let's... whether or not Jordan wheel is Jason Atkinson yet? Like, are, are we, st- I mean, Jordan wheel is clearly much better. Than We're him. still high on Jordan wheel. Yeah, I'd say so. I'm, I'm he, still high on Jordan. Okay. Wheel. He makes a lot of like skilled plays. Okay, but we'll see. We'll we'll give him the rest of the year. But I know I I I've still liked what I've seen from Wheel this year. And Jordan Wheel's an NHL player. Atkinson wasn't. How good Wheel is, I don't know. But like he belongs in the league, and Jason Atkinson did not. That became obvious. I want to know if Martell is someone you could eventually get something out of, or if he's a guy who's going to be playing in Europe in a year or two because this is the way it is. That's all. I just want to find out about guys. Since this team's clearly a 500 team, I just want to find out about guys. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a shot this year. I just don't think it's going to happen immediately. And I think, as I said, I think it comes down to the fact that he's not quite, he's moved up their, their charts, but he's not at the top. And that comes down to where he started the year at. At the rate players are dropping, he could have his shot yeah. before Thanksgiving. That's fair. That's a good point. You're not wrong. <laughs> the whole Phantoms might be up before Christmas. Like we, this, this, this freaking injuries are just driving me nuts. I can't believe the, the amount of guys they've lost in the short amount of time they've lost them. Like it just, like it just started like two weeks ago and never ended. <laughs> all right, gang. That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Charlie and Steph, you know, we just love all the support we get uh, on everything we do. Charlie's got like, I don't know, six or seven million subscribers on The Athletic or something. You should Hope see so. it. We're on Google. <laughs> you should see the, the house he's got. We're in Google Hangout right now, and he's got he's actually recording this in his soundproof Aston Martin. Uh, <laughs> Shut up, Bill. <laughs> um, yeah, so just a couple things as we wrap up. Um, number one is the Vegas trip. Still very much on. We are going to Vegas to watch the Flyers play the Vegas Golden Knights in February. Um, The flights have been sold out. So if you want to come with us, reach out to Joe. It's Joe at fans of Philly. That's fans with a PH dot com. Um, And he'll help you figure out something or you can go out there. Just drive. Or you you can make it out there on your own and and do all of the parties and the games and the stuff with us. Um, Take an Uber. Take an Uber from Philadelphia to Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, 
it'll be a lot of fun. I think there are well over 600 people signed up, 600 Flyers fans. So it will be a blast. It, it, that's, it, it's a ridiculous amount of people. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether I've ever been surrounded by that many Flyers fans outside of the Wells Fargo Center. So it should be should be really cool. Um, the next is just a, a, a side note on our recording. So I know that there are a lot of people who watch us on Facebook Live, and we will be bringing that back shortly. Um, probably next week is what we're looking at as as we get resituated. Um, so thanks for hanging out with us as, as we work ourselves out. And we'll be back. You can see our lovely faces. We are faces all well aware. Bill's kind of has a mustache again. No, this is full beard. Okay. Same. Maybe it was just the shadow. I, you know my light source in here. I know. Great. I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody actually asked me on post game the other day. They were like, who did your hair? Your pillow? And I was like, actually. <laughs> well, you're actually, not wrong. <laughs> actually, yes. I was watching the game in bed. <laughs> Yeah, uh, tune in for our uh, our post games on Facebook Live after every game. Uh, typically, it's me. Uh, I do. I go in the Broad Street Hockey Facebook Live, give you my thoughts, answer questions, talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. The uh, the checking out the competition stuff is uh, our pregame programming, and it's it's just it's a lot of fun. We just we're trying to produce as much content for you guys as possible uh, because we know you're looking for it. Hockey fans, Flyers fans are hungry. We want to, uh, we want to feed you. So for everybody at Broad Street Hockey Radio, have a great week. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs> <laughs>